This program is sponsored by North Valley Church of Christ. There's a message true and glad for the sinful and the sad. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. It will give them courage new. It will help them to be true. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring out. Good afternoon, folks, and welcome back to another episode of Redeeming the Time. I'm your host, Chris Macy. And I'm the minister here with the North Valley Church of Christ. Today is November the 30th, the last day of November. We're entering the last month of the year here in a moment, or in a day. So it's coming. It's Man, the years just go by faster and faster. I don't know if it's because things are so crazy in the world, or it's because I'm just getting older or busier. But man, these years are just flying by. Well, today we're going to be taking a look at Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 to 16. In fact, I need to make sure I have my Bible closer. It's way over there. We're going to look at that here in just a moment. So if you're at home and you want to open up your Bible to that passage, go right ahead. If you're driving, I'll be reading it to you momentarily. Uh, The weather outside, well, I'd like to say it's cooling off. Uh, Not that it's hot, but it's not... As cool as it normally is. I heard the other day on the radio that uh, it's 10 degrees above the average. So much for the farmer's almanac telling us it's going to be a harsh winter. Although maybe that's still coming. Maybe it's, I just have to wait a little longer, but I don't see it coming. We'll, we'll see. Uh, other things going on in the... In the world of North Valley Church of Christ, is uh, some folks here have been getting the flu and not feeling well and then having COVID. We had to shut down services for two Sundays in a row. Just out of caution, we'll also be closed tomorrow night for in-person. We're doing online services, but next Sunday we will be open for services. And just wanted to make that known to you if you're listening and one are thinking about visiting North Valley, we will be open this Sunday. Class, morning service, evening service, everything. Okay, let's get to our our lesson here this, this afternoon. I want to start with a story. <clears throat> Hillary Clinton's uh, cur- uh, presidential campaign, this was you know, back when she was running. Um, what was it? It was when Bill Clinton, I'm sorry. No, no, that was her. Yeah, she when she was running for president. And, oh, she was trying to work for the primary against uh, Barack Obama. Of course, Obama wins that and goes on to be president. Anyway, uh, there was an interesting illustration uh, that was was given uh, spread around. You probably heard it about Bill and Hillary were out driving. They were on vacation. And after driving uh, along and enjoying the the beautiful countryside, they needed to stop for gas. They, They pulled into a tiny gas station. And out walked a man to help them. Hillary looks up and screams at the top of her lungs, Charlie, is that you? I can't believe it. She jumps out of the car, gives the man a big hug, and they proceed to talk with uh, each other for a long time. And after they finished, they hugged again. Hillary got back in the car and they drove away. And Bill turns to Hillary and asked, Honey, who was that? She said, that was Charlie, an old boyfriend of mine. We dated for a long time and we almost got married. Oh, Bill was thinking about that and said, well, you know, if you'd married that man, today you'd just be the wife of a gas station attendant. 
Hillary looked down at her feet and simply said, no, if I had married him today, he would be the former president of the United States. <laughs> Interesting to ask that question. Who had the greater influence, Bill or Hillary? Who was it? You know, I want us all to come to grips this afternoon with the truth that all of us, we all have influence. There have been you know, meetings of only a moment which have left impressions for life, for eternity. No one can understand that mysterious thing we call influence. However, every one of us continually exerts influence, either to heal, bless, leave marks of beauty, or maybe wound, hurt, poison, stain other lives. Sociologists tell us that even the most introverted individual will influence about 10,000 other people during their lifetime. Interesting. We've been looking at the portrait of a servant that uh, God would like us to be. And I've tried in the uh, Beatitudes to show or describe the essential character traits that servants, the servants of Jesus should develop so that they can have, you and I can have, an impact on the world. And as we move into the Sermon on the Mount after the Beatitudes, we come to these two metaphors that Jesus uses, salt and light, in order to describe the influence for good that his disciples would have on the world. So in our passage today, Jesus says that servants can make a difference by being salt and light. Look at Matthew chapter 5, and starting in verse 13. Jesus says to his disciples, You are the salt of the earth. But if, that, it, but if the salt has become tasteless, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. In order to define the nature of our influence, Jesus gives us these two domestic metaphors. Every home, every, however poor you might be, every home has salt and light. And today, 2,000 years later, we can still relate to the function of these two essential things, can't we? Salt and light are indispensable household commodities. Nothing is more useful than salt and sunshine. The need for light is obvious. Salt, on the other hand, has a variety of uses. Will be, you know, it's used for seasoning and preservatives. But all, of all those, I really want us to focus in on preservatives today. I may hint on the other ones. I've done that in the past. But I, I kind of want to hit on the preservative one today. But anyway, a basic truth that lies behind these two metaphors it is common to, and what's common to them, both is that the church and the world are distinct communities. Jesus says that there's an earth, and then there's you, who are the salt of the earth. Then he says there's the world. And then he says, there is you who are the light of the world. Now, 
It is true that the two communities are related to each other, but their relatedness depends on their distinctiveness. Additionally, the metaphors tell us something about both communities. The world is evidently a dark place with little or no light of its own. Since an external source of light is needed to illuminate it, we know that the world is always talking about being enlightened. But most of the world's enlightenment is in reality just darkness. We also observe that the world manifests a tendency to deteriorate. It continues to experience decay. It cannot stop itself from going bad. Only salt that is introduced from the outside can stop the process of decay. And so we realize that the church is set in the world for this dual role. We are salt that must arrest the process of decay, and we are light that must dispel the darkness. Now let's take a closer look at these two things and better understand our calling as servants. Jesus carefully crafted these statements, laying them in parallel with one another. And in each case, Jesus brings an affirmation. You are the salt, and you are the light. But then he adds that qualifier, which is the condition on which these affirmations depend. The salt must retain its saltiness, and the light must be allowed to shine. Salt is good for nothing if, it, if its uh, saltiness is lost. And light, a light is good for nothing if it's concealed. So let's start there with salt of the earth. And Jesus begins that with, you are the salt of the earth. Now I am told that the wording here is emphatic. Uh, and it could be rendered, you and only you are the salt of the earth. And Jesus isn't saying you can be the salt of the earth if you want to. He's not saying that. He isn't looking for volunteers He's not asking anyone if they want to be the salt of the earth. Whether we want to be or not, we are the salt of the earth. Remember, he's talking to his disciples. We see that in verses 1 and 2 of chapter 5. He's talking to those who are his disciples. So for today, you would say he's talking to Christians. You are, you, you are the salt of the earth. You, you are the light of the world. We'll look at that one again when we get to it. The only question about the matter, though, is a question of whether we will be sufficiently salty. The effectiveness of salt is conditional. It must retain its saltiness. Now, if you want to be literal here, and you know, strictly speaking, I'm told, and I've read, I should say, that salt can never lose its saltiness. It is a chemical compound made up of sodium and chloride. And as a compound, it is very stable it is resistant to nearly every attack. What can happen, though, is that it can become contaminated. It can become mixed with other impurities. Now, our salt today, you know, you're going to get all kinds, but it's purified. It's pure salt. They didn't have that back in Jesus' day. They didn't have a way of purifying salt, so you had just salt. Um, for them, they had this powdery stuff, but it was a mixture of different things, and if it got wa- it could easily get washed in a way where the salt would all be gone, and all that would be remained was stuff that looked like it was salt, but it did not taste or act like salt. 
It was just good for nothing except to be thrown out as road dust and trampled underfoot by men. So you can see what Jesus was saying there when he brought that up. Now, Jesus wants us to be salty servants, right? (laughs) Our saltiness is the Christian character as depicted in the Beatitudes that preceded this passage. And the rest of the Sermon on the Mount kind of follows upon that. As salt uh, must retain its saltiness to be effective, so we Christians, we must remain in Christ in order to be effective. Our influence on our world requires that we remain distinct from it. Not distant, but distinct from the world. So not in proximity, but in purity. The glory of the gospel is that when the church is absolutely different from the world, she she invariably attracts the world to it. It is then that the world is made to listen to the message, though it may hate it at first. So that's salt of the earth. Next, Jesus goes to that servants are light of the world. He introduces this, uh, the similar, you know, you are the light of the world. And like before, it's emphatic. You could render this as you and only you are the light of the world. And we know he's not, again, he's not asking for volunteers. He expects this of his disciples. If you are my disciples, this is what you are. Salt and light, you're these things. Chapter 8 of John, and in chapter 9, Jesus made that declaration that I am the light of the world. And that is the truth. He is the true light. Any other light that we have is light shining, or any light, I should say, that you and I have is really light shining through us. It's his light. You could say we're like the moon. The moon has no light emanating from it, does it? None. And yet, on a full moon at night, it lights up our world in a way, doesn't it? Not as brightly as the sun does, but enough to give us something that we can see. That is us. We are reflecting Christ in our lives to shine out into the world. We're not perfect. You know, we do a poor job, but we are reflecting light. Some brighter than others, but we do our best. So... As with the salt, this affirmation from Jesus is followed up by a condition. We must let our light shine. If salt can lose its saltiness, then the light in us can become darkness, or it can be concealed. Jesus doesn't want us to be a city in a valley whose lights are you know, concealed from view, but a city set on a hill whose lights can be seen for miles away. He wants us to be a lighted lamp set up on a lampstand in a prominent place in a house and not put under a bowl or under a basket. Now, I've read uh, something interesting about the ancient world and the practice of lighting homes. You know, they didn't have electricity, obviously. They didn't have little big lighters. Uh, they had a use flint and stone to make a spark to light light something up. Now, I'm assuming that this wasn't a practice that was just got to a point where you could just whack once and then you had a fire that was always easy. I'm sure it was kind of a pain to get it just right. So if you're going to leave home for a little bit, you didn't you wouldn't want to put the lamp out. So you would take the lamp or they would take the lamp, they put it down on the floor and they would put this earthen vessel over it. Not a bowl where it completely cut off the air. It was, I don't know, on stilts or something. But they would put it on top so that it would, uh, the light would 
continue to burn and not threaten to burn down the house. So they, they would do things like that. Our influence as a servant depends on our being visible and not concealing it. We can't decide, you know, today I'm, I'm, I don't want to be a Christian. I want to put my light down on the, on the floor, cover it for now, and I'll be back. No, you can't do that. You need to keep it where everyone can see it. You're always going to have influence. Don't take the influence of Christ away. A community of Jesus which seeks to hide itself has ceased to follow Jesus. Do we shine our lights to illuminate other lights? No. We shine our lights to dispel darkness. What is the difference between shining the light in a lit room and shining a light in a dark room. If we only shine our lights when we are meeting at the church, then our lights are not being shown in the place where it can have the most impact. I think a lot of folks do that. They come to the worship service on Sundays or Wednesday nights, whenever it might be, and they got that light shining. As soon as they leave, they take that light, they put it on the floor and put an earthen vessel over it and say, I'll, I'll be back. But I don't want to put my light out. But I'm not willing to take it with me. I want to move, you know, we may say. There aren't any Christians in my neighborhood. I want to change schools. I'm the only Christian here. I want to change jobs. The people I work with are crude and ungodly. I wish I could work with in a, a, a Christian environment. I feel like I have to hide my light all the time just to get through the day. Have you ever had thoughts like those? Now, don't... Don't misunderstand me. Christian fellowship is essential for growth. It's commanded by God, but it's not an end of itself. It is supposed to be a means to prepare us to go and be a light to the world. Jesus was criticized for spending time with tax collectors and sinners, and so he responded, it's not the healthy you need a doctor, right? It's the sick. And what is this light that we are supposed to shine Let your light shine in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. So we are not to conceal the truth that we know, nor to conceal the truth of what we are. Good deeds that befit our Father in heaven should characterize our lives. And when people see us and our good works, then they will glorify glorify God. They will recognize That it is by God's grace and power that we are what we are. And that our light is really real light. It's his light. And in the end, we want them to praise our Father in heaven, the true light. And not the lamp which bears it. To summarize, let me say that serving as the salt of the earth and the light of the world requires two things. Number one, we must live the life. Living the life includes two th- a couple of things, godly character, good deeds. We must be different from the world, both by how we live and how we serve. We must be righteous, or, uh, be righteousness in our personal character and do righteousness in our public activity. We must not fail in either of these aspects of being salt and light. We must not fail the world that we are called to make a difference in. And number two, we must speak the words. Now, there is... <clears throat> There is tremendous influence that comes from our character and our works, but those two things are bolstered by our words when we speak God-given truths. Part of being salt and light 
includes speaking the truth in a world where most of what we hear is false. If no one ever speaks the truth, then how will the truth be heard? Often we resign ourselves as Christians to sit quietly by as we see the moral climate of our culture go down the tubes. Sometimes standards slip and slide in a community for want of a clear protest. You can hardly blame unsalted meat from going bad. It cannot do anything else. The real question that we need to be asking is where is the salt? To look at some Christians, one would think that their ambition is to be the honeypot of the world. They sweeten and sugar the bitterness of life, true, with an all-too-easy conception of a living God, but Jesus did not say you are the honey of the world. He said you are the light of the earth. Salt bites, and the unadulterated message of the judgment and grace of God has always been a biting thing. Alongside of this condemnation of what is false and evil, we must take our stand for what is true and good. This must be done in word and in deed. The world is deteriorating. It needs salt. The world is dark and it needs light. It needs the Lord Jesus. It needs the Jesus it can see and hear and experience from us. It needs you and me. It needs us to be salt and light. God wants to use you and to make a difference. Now, will we allow him to do so? It's going to take godly character, good deeds, and God-given truth. We must not hinder our impact by sin, by compromise, or concealment, or laziness, or by fear. We must allow... Uh, well, let, let me say this. You know, too, have you ever put too much salt on food and it's just, it's just unedible? You just can't do it? Or... You turn the lights up too bright, you know, you, you, uh, you're out, you're inside the house, it's been dark, you walk out into the, the sun, it's just so bright, it's blinding. We need to be wise and gentle as we act as salt and light. Those outside of Christ, they're living in darkness and in decay, and they need salt and light. They need it. So as servants of God, we can bring them that salt and that light as we seek to serve them wisely. Be careful how much you put on and how much light you put on. You don't walk up to someone who's been standing in total darkness and turn on your your big flashlight right in their eyes. You just blind them and uh, you, they can't see anything. That's closing the door. No one's going to want that. You hate that, right? I would. So you got to bring them into it gently. Now, you may be thinking, though, what, what influence can I have since I'm a nobody? Well, let's start by taking this quiz. Try to name in your head or, or out loud if you want to with your friends there, uh, the three wealthiest people in the world. Okay? Now, here's the next question. Name the last three Heisman Trophy winners. Name the last three winners of the Miss America contest. Name the last three people who have won the Nobel or Pulitzer Prize. Name the last three Academy Award winners for Best Actor or Actress. I couldn't do that. I could care less about that. So how did you do? Did you get them all right? Do you know? Probably did you even name any? 
The point is the few of us can remember yesterday's headliners. These people on these lists are, are, you know, they're no second-rate achievers. They're the best at their fields. But applause dies, awards tarnish, achievements are forgotten. Let's try another quiz. Think of three school teachers that have made a difference in your life. Think of three friends who have helped you through a difficult time. Think of three people who have made you feel appreciated and special. Think of three people you enjoy spending time with. Three people whose lives you have inspired you. How did you do on that quiz? Probably much better, right? The lesson I hope we get from this is that the people who make a difference in our lives are not necessarily the ones with the most credentials, the most money or awards. No, the people who make the most difference are the ones who care and the ones who serve. Sometimes they serve deliberately and consciously. Sometimes they serve just by living for Christ and being salt and light. As servants of God, You and I can and do have a great influence. May we never forget that we may strive to be faithful servants of God, salt and light in this lost and dying world. It needs it. It needs you and me to be those things. Because as long as the earth is producing, I think God is going to let it continue on. But as soon as he comes to it and sees that it's not bearing any fruit, and that it's full of decay and rot and darkness, what do you think he's going to do with it? The same thing that Jesus did to the fig tree that did not produce. The same thing that God did when he looked down upon the earth and saw that every thought and intention of man was evil, Genesis chapter 6. Only he's going to bring fire, and he's going to bring it to an end. Something to think about. We are preserving the earth by being salt and light. It's up to you and me. Thank you for being here with me today. I hope you uh, think on these things this week. And may the Lord bless you in all the good works that you do for him. It is in his name that we bring this to you. And may, he, may you always live by that name, the name of Jesus. Thank you and take care. Sitting up to sweep away till she the better day. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. Till the sinful world be won for Jehovah's mighty son. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. This program was sponsored by North Valley Church of Christ.